Welcome church, good to be with you. I'm Pastor Tim. If you're visiting, great to have you. Um, some of you may have heard this story before, first or second hand. Um, Keith Lippy works for Lippy Brothers Farm down in Hampstead, Maryland. Um, he worked for them for years before he and his family went uh, to, to serve as missionaries um, in Africa. And then he, he came back and continues to work for the Lippy Brothers Farm. And uh, one of the things they grow is green beans. And Keith told me one time about how when the green bean harvest comes at the end of the summer, the big combines go out into the field and they back in the huge tractor trailers and the, and the combines harvest the green beans and they're literally just dumping like thousands of bushels of green beans into the back of these trailers to haul them off uh, to market. And he said that when they do that and as they fill up and as these combines spray that, that several of them or, or bunches of these green beans spill over the edges and get missed. And he said and the trucks pull away and there's just piles of them like along the side. And he's sort of telling me this, and, and, and Keith's an honorable guy, so I have to assume he's being truthful, but I'm thinking to myself, like, that makes no sense, Keith. Like, clearly there's something missing here in the story. Like, why would a, a, a an upstanding, like, you know, productive, profitable farming company just leave piles of green beans to rot in the field, right? But then he tells me how people, like, ha- catch wind of this, and so now they come during green bean harvest, and they bring bags, and they pull their cars in. He said one old guy from the city every year, for, for I don't know how many years it's been, Keith, but he comes up, and what Keith says he pops open his trunk, and he fills his whole trunk with green beans and drives them down to Baltimore to sell them or give them away. And so... You know, I, I sort of have no choice but to leave him, but it just makes no sense because I don't, I don't have any sort of concept for the, the magnitude of this operation until about two, three years ago, the men organized a camping trip on the Lippy Farm in the back. There's a pond and we were camping and fishing around the pond. And wouldn't you know, at Saturday morning at dawn, we wake up to the sound of combines and they're harvesting in the field. Guess what they're harvesting? They're harvesting green beans, right? And so I now get to see with my own eyes these thousands of bushels of green beans being shot into the back of these tractor trailers. We walk up and lo and behold see piles of green beans laying along the, in between where the fields and the, and, and, I, and I'm like, this isn't insane. And there are places along the edges where, where the combines didn't reach and so there's green beans along the vine and so we now participate in what I've heard stories of others participating in. We grab every available grocery bag and we're just stuffing. I mean, it's like, you know, free food, right? This is amazing. And so we're stuffing grocery bags and filling up, you know, and I'm now taking part in what I had only heard about and seeing that there's leftovers, there's scraps. That to the to the farm the farm owner, it's it's not worth going around by hand, right, and picking up individual green beans. But it's worth it to those that have need, or like me, are just excited about the opportunity, right? This practice is what's called gleaning. Gleaning is when when. Those in need go out into the field after the harvest to pick up the leftovers, to pick up the scraps. That's exactly what we're going to read, slightly smaller scale, maybe not exactly, similar to what we'll read about today in the book of Ruth, during not the green bean harvest, but the barley harvest. And so we started last week in the book of Ruth, in our series called Kinsman Redeemer, and you heard the story, the introduction, hopefully, the book begins with, with tragedy in chapter 1. Naomi and her husband have moved out of the land of Israel to the land of Moab because there's a famine. Naomi's husband tragically dies. Her and her two sons remain in the land of Moab. They remarry, they, or they marry Moab husbands, but they also die. 
Chapter 1 was, was tragic, wasn't it? But he, this morning we're in chapter 2. You can turn there, page 222 in the hardback blue Bibles. We read last week how Naomi moved back to Judah to restart her life. She's got no husband. Her sons have also perished. Her prospects are, are pretty dire. She's in pretty dire straits. But amazingly, as Naomi leaves, one of her daughters-in-law, Ruth, pledges her devotion and returns back to the land of Judah with her. Pledges her devotion to Naomi, to her people, even to God. And Naomi accepts Ruth's commitment, but, but Naomi's still pretty hopeless, we read, right? She, she doesn't want to bring Ruth into her desperate situation. Naomi is, is bitter. She feels empty. She knows that the only hope that they have is for, for an Israelite practice known as the kinsman redeemer. We talked last week about how this is, is based in the Old Testament laws of mercy and redemption. That if a man became impoverished and was forced to sell his property, that the nearest relative could buy back the property and redeem him out of poverty. Additionally, there were laws that said if a man got married and died before he had a son to carry on his name, that his brother or his closest relative was expected to marry his widow and that the firstborn son of the new union would carry on the name of the deceased brother. And so we find out throughout the story that this is Naomi's only hope is for a kinsman redeemer to rise up, to buy back her land, to marry Ruth, to produce an heir and to rescue them. And so while chapter 1 was pretty tragic, pretty hopeless, we're going to see in chapter 2 the Lord's provision. In chapter 2 we're going to see that the Lord begins to, to provide. And the first thing we're going to see is Him providing through this, this practice of gleaning. Through Ruth going out into the field to pick up the scraps. And that in and of itself will be the Lord's provision. We're going to see, and I'm going to read this morning in, in three kind of scenes here in chapter 2, three sections. We're going to see the Lord provide through what I call divine chance. The Lord's provision through the undeserved kindness of a man that we're going to meet this morning and through Naomi's restored hope. So let's read together. I'm just going to begin with the first three verses of uh, chapter 2. And we're going to see the Lord's provision through through this divine chance. Bear with me and I'll explain that. Ruth chapter 2 verse 1 says, Now Naomi had a relative of her husband's, a worthy man of the clan of Elimelech whose name was Boaz. And Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi, Let me go into the field and glean among the ears of grain after him, in whose sight I shall find favor. And she said to her, Go, my daughter. So she set out and went and gleaned in the field after the reapers. And she happened to come to the part of the field belonging to Boaz, who was of the clan of Elimelech. Now, I'm going to stop right there. And, and let me just tell you, I don't like verse 1. Here's why I don't like verse 1. Verse 1 is, is, is a comment by the narrator setting up the rest of the story. Okay? The narrator of Ruth is what we call a third person omniscient narrator. Right? It means that he knows things that the characters in the story don't know. I don't like stories like that. I don't like movies or books where the narrator is telling you things before they happen. I want to follow along and find out with the characters. Right? I want the tension to build. And, and so if you're like me, you can sort of pretend that the narrator didn't give away what he gave away in, in verse 1. And, and you can kind of read and, and hear the story unfold through the eyes of Naomi and Ruth. But we read there in verse 2 that Ruth is being proactive. They need to, they need to eat. Ruth and Naomi are, are poor immigrant widows. 
Now it's the barley harvest. And so she asked Naomi, her mother-in-law, who would have been responsible for her, can, can she go out in the fields to glean, right? To pick up the leftovers. She's not talking about getting a job. She's talking about picking up the scraps that other people don't want. And, and so typically, you know, the, 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 the men would go out with the sickle, would cut down the grain, and then others, often women, would come behind, bundle up the, 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 the shafts of grain and put them into a bundle and, and carry them off to be harvested. But of course, not every stalk would be gathered. There were some that would be missed. And so Ruth is going to go out. She's going to hope to find enough leftover stalk so that they can eat, so that they can make some bread and not starve. And this was a typical practice for the poor in the land of Israel. In fact, the law of Moses actually stipulated that landowners must allow the poor to glean in their fields. And so landowners in the land of Israel were instructed not to harvest their field all the way to the edges, to leave some growth remaining on the edges. And they were instructed not to pick up every scrap of grain, but to leave some. And it was specifically designated to leave it for the poor, for the widows, for the orphans, and for the immigrants. It was a way for them to survive, to have sustenance. And we see here in those laws of Moses, God's heart for those in need. God's heart for the poor and the widows and the orphans and the immigrants. But we have to remember, we read last week, that this whole story takes place during the period of the Judges. Right before there was a national king, when the tribes were were somewhat separated, when there was not full obedience and consistency with the laws of Moses. And so we find out later in the story that this practice of gleaning and this protection for those in need was not being practiced consistently at that time in Israel. And in fact, it wasn't even safe for Ruth to go out into the fields to pick up the leftovers. But we read in verse 3 that she goes, takes some bit of a risk. She goes out into a field. Now remember, she's not from Judah. She's a Moabite. She's not from around there. She doesn't know anyone. She doesn't know where. She's literally just wandering in the fields looking for somebody who will let her pick up some grain. And it says in verse 3 that she just happened to come to the part of the field belonging to Boaz. Now the Hebrew could even be translated there in verse 3. She just so happened or she happened by chance to come To the field of Boaz. So the idea is that that Ruth is not intentionally going to Boaz's field. Now remember, we know in verse 1 who Boaz is. Ruth does not. She just ended up there without any planning, without any intentionality on her part. But now we know why the narrator has told us who Boaz is. Right? Naomi's husband, Elimelech, was a man of Judah. Boaz is is a relative of her late husband. She's a, she is a, a relative of Naomi. And so Ruth didn't plan to go to Boaz's field, but, but who did plan it? God did, right? See, see, Ruth just so happened to end up in Boaz's field. From, from their perspective, it was just a random chance meeting. But we know, because the narrator told us from verse 1, wait a minute, God's at work here. This guy Boaz is related to them, it's important. Ruth ended up in, in this field, not by accident. It's part of God's plan. And if you know the story, or, or if you were here last week, we know that God is going to raise up a kinsman redeemer. And now we start to wonder, huh, is that Boaz, right? Now, interestingly, verse 1 also called Boaz a worthy man. Other translations say he was noble, he was prominent. In other words, Boaz is not just any old relative. He's a man of good character, a man with good standing in the community, a man who's wealthy and influential. Listen, Ruth being in Boaz's field is a really good thing, okay? The narrator wants us to see that. 
The Lord's provision is at work in what appears to us, just reading the story, what would have appeared to Ruth and Naomi would have appeared to be just chance. What I would call divine chance, right? But we know that nothing just happens and the narrator is making that point. It may appear to be a chance accident from our perspective, but not from God's. This is the Lord's provision. It was the Lord's provision that Ruth wandered into Boaz's field that day. And any and every good thing that happens in your life, quote unquote, by chance, is actually the Lord's good provision. Because the Lord's hand is always at work in our lives, in the obvious ways, in the unseen ways, in the ways that you plan and set out, and the things that just just so happen. Heard a story last week. I went to the pastor's prayer group here in Southern York County and heard Pastor Adam from Grace Bible Chapel talk about his uh, process of adoption. He and his wife Katie were looking to adopt a baby. And, and their agency encouraged them to post their search for an adoptive mom online that maybe somebody would see their post and have a lead on, on, a, on a mother wrestling with, with uh, being pregnant and, and maybe would match them up through their agency and, and they could adopt this baby, which was their, their heart, their plan. His wife Katie owned a bakery and so she posted on her bakery uh, Facebook page, social media, their, their story and, and their desire to adopt. Interestingly enough just so happened by chance that a maternity nurse was a fan of this bakery, was a customer of the bakery, read the post that Katie put up there. And it just so happened that this maternity nurse was working with a young mom, preparing her to give birth, and the agency that this young mom was working with was having a hard time placing her with with adoptive parents. And so the next time she went in and, and saw this young woman, she, she just so happened to mention Adam and Katie and their post, put them in touch with the agency. And so about a, about a year ago, Adam and Katie brought home this young mom's baby. Adoption's not finalized yet, but, but I think 11 days, he, he said, that they, 11 days old, they brought the baby home. But the story goes on because recently, as part of the adoption process, Adam had to go in for a full health checkup and physical to make sure that he was in good health so that the adoption could be finalized. And it just so happened that as he's in there for his physical, one of the nurses there was one of the people that had been involved who knew the birth mom, one of the people that had been involved with connecting the birth mom to him and his wife. And she was able to say, oh, I know who you are. A year ago, I met the the biological mom of, of the baby that you're in the process of. And they were able to, to, to share stories and, and see the hand of God at work. Right? We don't often get to see that overtly, the hand of God working through accidents and chance and things that we don't plan or foresee. But we know that nothing happens by chance. That it's God's divine sovereignty, not divine chance. God's provision at work in our lives through countless ways. Through Direct the direct hand of God, the work of the church, the work of the Holy Spirit, and just through God's common grace in the world around us. And the scripture talks about divine sovereignty again and again and again in God's hand. Of course, scripture also talks about human responsibility, right? The fact that God is in control and God is providing doesn't mean that we sit back and do nothing, that we have no responsibility, right? We see here in the story of Ruth, no, she got up, she went out in the field, she worked hard, she gleaned. It's interesting though, right? She went out, she took action, she was proactive, but God directed her steps, right? See, human responsibility works in conjunction, collaborating with God's divine sovereignty, bringing her to to just the right field to meet just the right landowner, 
So Christian, you're called to be faithful, to be obedient. New graduates, young people, you're called to take action, to trust the Lord, to be faithful. But you trust the Lord to direct your steps, to direct your steps to the job, to the spouse, to the big decisions, even in the day-to-day of life. Right? It's not, well, I'm just going to sit back, you know, if God wants me to find a job, wants me to find a spouse, wants me to... No, no, no. You're not off the hook. God's hand of provision is at work, often at work through our responsibility. So be responsible and trust God. Trust in His providence. Because things that happen by chance, from our perspective, are the hand of God. And so we see His provision in Naomi and Ruth's life in that way. But let's go on and pick back up in verse 4. Let's continue the story. We're going to read a longer section, verses 4 to 16, and see God's provision through the undeserved kindness that Ruth will receive from Boaz. Verse 4 says this, And behold, Boaz came from Bethlehem, and he said to the reapers, The Lord be with you. And they answered, The Lord bless you. Then Boaz said to his young man who was in charge of the reapers, Whose young woman is this? And the servant who was in charge of the reapers answered, She is the young Moabite woman who came back with Naomi from the country of Moab. She said, Please let me glean and gather among the sheaves after the reapers. So she came, and she has continued from early morning until now, except for a short rest. Then Boaz said to Ruth, Now listen, my daughter. Do not go to glean in another field or leave this one, but keep close to my young women. Let your eyes be on the field that they are reaping and go after them. Have I not charged the young men not to touch you? And when you are thirsty, go to the vessels and drink what the young men have drawn. Then she fell on her face, bowing to the ground, and said to him, Why have I found favor in your eyes that you should take notice of me, since I am a foreigner? But Boaz answered her, All that you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband has been fully told to me and how you left your father and mother and your native land and came to a people that you did not know before. The Lord repay you for what you have done and a full reward be given you by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. Then she said, I have found favor in your eyes, my Lord, for you have comforted me and spoken kindly to your servant, though I am not one of your servants. And at mealtime, Boaz said to her, Come here and eat some bread and dip your morsel in the wine. She sat beside the reapers and he passed to her roasted grain. And she ate until she was satisfied and she had some left over. When she rose to glean, Boaz instructed his young men saying, Let her glean even among the sheaves and do not reproach her. And also pull out some from the bundles for her and leave it for her to glean and do not rebuke her. Amen. So verse 4, Boaz comes out from Bethlehem before lunch. He's going to check on how the harvest is going. He greets his workers. He checks in with his foreman. But almost immediately, Ruth catches his eye. Now, maybe Boaz just knew who was and wasn't employed by him and who was in the field, who wasn't supposed to be there. Maybe Ruth caught his eye because she was ethnically Moabite and may have looked different than the other Israelites. Maybe He noticed her because she was outstandingly beautiful. Maybe as a prominent bachelor, Boaz was always sort of on the lookout, you know, for an eligible bride. Bride. We're not, we're not sure, but he notices her. He catches, she catches his eye. So he asks the foreman in in verse five, who, who is this woman? The foreman explains she's a Moabite who came back from Bethlehem with Naomi. 
And how Ruth had asked for permission to gather up the leftovers behind the harvester. And he goes on to report that, that Ruth is hardworking. She's been working since early morning. Now, Boaz's question in verse 5, whose young woman is she? That may sound a little offensive to our 21st century ears. But remember, in that culture, a woman's social and legal and financial standing was connected either to her father or to her husband or another another relative. And so Boaz is simply asking, is this woman married? If not, who's her father? Right? He's interested. And we see in 8 and 9 that Boaz is significantly impressed and he's significantly enough intrigued that he goes up to talk to Ruth. He addresses her as daughter, probably just a, a respectful way to refer to a younger unmarried woman. And he says, listen, I, I want you to stay here in my fields. Don't, don't leave. Go, don't leave to go gather grain somewhere else. Stay close here and work alongside of the other women. Wherever they're harvesting, follow them. He says, I've charged the men who work for me to stay away from you, not to touch you. When you're thirsty, go get a drink alongside the other servants. We, we read later on in verses 15 and 16, after lunch, he, he reinforces his instructions to the other harvesters. In fact, he goes on to tell them, let her work in the fields with you, treat her with respect. In fact, he says, I want you to pull out some grain from the bundles, like leave extra behind for Ruth to pick up. Now we cannot overstate what Boaz has just done for Ruth and by extension her mother-in-law Naomi. He's not hired her to be part of the harvesting crew. In some ways he's done something even better. He's given her full access to his field. He could have just given her like, here's a bag of grain, you know, this should last you a day or two, but he's not doing that. Ruth is a hard-working woman. He knows that. They live in the midst of a hard-working culture. Ruth doesn't need a, a handout. She needs an opportunity, right? An opportunity to work, to provide for herself. And so he gives her full access to his fields, but beyond that, full protection while in the fields. See, it's kind of a sad state of, of affairs that in Israel at that time, Boaz has to actually instruct his crew, leave her alone. Right As a young unmarried woman in, in the fields without chaperone, she was extremely vulnerable. And again, during the period of Judges, there was, there was rampant uh, sin and not, not consistent obedience to the laws of Moses. And so Boaz is protecting her, protecting her from some reprobate who might come along into the field and try to physically or sexually assault her. But he's also protecting her from, from a young bachelor who might try to sweep her up off of her feet. And so he tells the men on his crew, don't look at her, don't touch her, leave her alone. Naomi is going to later affirm, we'll read in a minute in verse 22, when Naomi hears about all that has happened, he's going to, she's going to affirm Boaz's generosity and, and protection, that a huge blessing it was. That in fact, if Naomi had, had gone to other lands with less honorable landowners, there's a risk that she could be harmed, that she could be assaulted. It's a great, great blessing. Now all of this outstanding generosity and provision that Boaz extends isn't missed on Ruth, right? We, we saw her response in verse 10. She bows down, she puts her face to the ground, is this cultural show of honor, and she says to Boaz, what have I done? What have I done that you would take notice of me? I'm just a foreigner. How can you give me such great favor? That word there, is, it means grace. You've given me such great grace, and I'm just a foreigner. I don't deserve this. But Boaz replies in verse 11, Oh no, 
Your reputation has preceded you. I know all about who you are. I know all about the woman of honor and integrity and devotion that you are. How you've been with your mother-in-law. That even though your husband died, you stayed by her side. How you left your own family and your own native country. You've come to live with Naomi. You've made her people your people. Now, I don't know exactly what's going on here in Boaz's heart. This is at least admiration. We can wonder whether it's the beginnings of attraction, right? Like, Boaz is interested in Ruth. He goes on to say in verse 12, May the Lord bless you, may the Lord reward you for your honorable actions, that you would receive a full reward of God's goodness from the Lord, from Yahweh, the God of Israel, the God whose wings you have come under to find refuge and protection. And Ruth says again in verse 13, Boaz, you have been so gracious to me. You've given me above and beyond what I could have imagined or what any Israelite was even expected to do. Giving me such favor. Ruth says, you've you've been a comfort to me. You've been an encouragement to me. She says, I'm not even one of your maidservants, but you've blessed me above and beyond. They then sit down. Boaz invites her to eat lunch with him and the rest of the crew. She eats until she's full. She's even got leftovers. We'll see. She takes the leftovers home to her her mother-in-law, Naomi. Did you see this undeserved kindness that this man Boaz is pouring out in abundance on this woman he just met? This poor, immigrant, widowed foreigner. Now again, as I said, when Naomi hears about this later in verse 20, she refers to this as the Lord's kindness. That, that word kindness in verse 20 is the word used for God's covenant loving kindness. God's faithfulness. See, God is at work here through the heart and through the generosity of Boaz. God's kindness, His grace, His provision is being poured out. Being poured out on Ruth. Why? Because of her great need. Simply because Boaz is an honorable, upstanding man who's being generous, and he meets someone who has need. He doesn't deserve the kind of treatment that he is giving her. She certainly doesn't have the status. He's not doing this because of her high status in the society. He's doing it simply because he's being gracious. Showing concern, showing kindness for a poor immigrant widow. In this heart, this heart for the least and for the lowest, for the poor, for the widows, for the orphans, for the immigrants, this is embedded into Old Testament law. Why? Why did God embed that into the Old Testament law? Because it's embedded in His heart. His heart for people in need, people who are hurting. And that same heart, that same undeserved kindness, should be embedded in the hearts of God's followers, of the disciples of Jesus. We too are called to show God's kindness On those who have been forgotten, been overlooked, been mistreated, been pushed aside by the world. We're called not only to love, but to demonstrate that love. Not only to love, but to act, to serve, and to give in love. We are called to be the Lord's kindness, to be the Lord's provision. In tangible, practical ways to meet the needs of those around us. Whenever the church, the church globally, the church here locally, is called to do that, we we extend God's provision to those in this world that are hurting, to those in this world that have been missed like Ruth would have been. At Living Hope, whenever we have an opportunity to do that, to come alongside of somebody in the community and we help folks with service projects or or rent or utility bills, I always try to make sure that they understand and I speak this. I say, look, look, this is not just coming from the church. I want you to know this is the Lord's provision. The Lord has seen you. He has not forgotten you. Several months ago, 
Karen and, and the kids and I were out at a local restaurant and the waitress that was serving us, she happened to mention just an offhanded comment about, about living in a motel. And, and as we ate, I thought, I can't let that go. And so Karen and the kids got up and, and, I, and, I, and I found her. I said, hey, you mentioned something about living in a motel. I said, can you tell me, do you mind telling me what's going on with that? And she began to explain her situation and how the landlord had sold the property and they had had to, to move out and they were in a motel thinking it would just be a, be a short-term thing, but month after month after month, you know how that happens. And I said, well, here, here's the contact info for the church. I said, will you reach out to, to, to us? I said, we, we'd like to see if, if we can help you. And at the time, we helped her with some bills. She didn't have a place to move into, as is often the case. And people that get themselves in, in difficult situations, her, her, her credit was not in a good position, wasn't able to get an agreement with the rental company. So we helped her out at the time, and we stayed in a little bit of touch. But this was months ago. But she reached back out to me recently this week, and she said, I finally found an, an apartment, a landlord who will approve me. But I need first month's rent, last month's rent, security deposit to move into this place so that me and my kids can be together, can finally have an apartment, have a home to be in together. And so we, and I say we, Living Hope Church, we helped her with a down payment to get into this apartment. And as we spoke, she she was so tentative. She kept apologizing. People apologized. She felt bad. She even said, she just said, I'm so embarrassed. And I just reassured her. Look, there's no reason to be embarrassed. Myself included, every man, every woman, at some point, we have needs. When she came to the office to pick up the check, I invited Karen Spear to come meet me at the office because if you're gonna, if you're gonna try to step out and do something good for the Lord, you're always better off having Karen Spear nearby. And so I said, Karen, will you come up and, and, and meet this, this woman when she picks up the check and, 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 and pray with her? And man, the heart of God just poured out through Karen as she reassured her of the Lord's help, reassured her of God's grace. And and as Karen prayed for her on Friday, she just reminded her that, that that the Lord sees her, the Lord knows her, that the Lord has provided for her, that this is nothing to be, to be ashamed of or, or to be concerned about that. This is the hand of God, the provision of God. And, and we as a church community were able to minister to her. And so, so, so Saturday she moved into this apartment by the way, she doesn't have any furniture, so I'm putting you on the spot. But see Karen Spear after church today, if you've got furniture in your garage, that we can take up to, to, to furnish this woman's apartment. But do, do you see the Lord's provision at work through the people of God, through the heart of God? Not only as we pray, as we love, as we speak the truth of the gospel, but as we, as we minister in the same way that, that God did here in the story. It's the Lord's provision, His undeserved kindness that has come to each of us. And we, each of us, if you can't think right now of a practical way when you have needed, and many of you have received the Lord's undeserved kindness, you better think a little bit harder. But God now calls each of us, his followers, to show that kindness to the least and to the lowest. To those that have been written off by the world. Because God's provision often comes through his people. Now, of course, in the story, Ruth caught Boaz's attention because of her outstanding devotion to Naomi. He's impressed. He's impressed with her dedication and her courage coming to a new land, standing beside her mother-in-law. But Boaz has enough insight, and again, he's a humble, godly man. He realizes that her devotion to Naomi is an indication of her devotion to Yahweh, to the one true God, that that she is trusting in the Lord. Look back at what, what he said in verse 12. The Lord repay you for what you have done, 
and a full reward be given you by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. See, Boaz realizes that simply by sticking with Naomi and coming back with her and becoming a part of Israel, that Ruth has come under the wings of God. That Ruth has found refuge in God himself. Refuge means means shelter, protection, that she is seeking the Lord's provision. She didn't just like Naomi. It's not why she left her family and her homeland in Moab. She knew that Naomi's God could provide for them. And so she took that step of faith, that act of devotion. And and Ruth is is now beginning to find this tremendous, life-changing, unearned favor of God that she's received just now a first step through Boaz. Because she's come under the wings of the Lord to find refuge. Now, of course, God doesn't have wings. Okay? This is poetic imagery. Boaz is using a metaphor, a metaphor that's well-grounded in Scripture. Back in Deuteronomy, God's provision for the nation of Israel was described... Is shelter, shelter of, of, of God's people, sheltering them as they come under His wings, like an eagle, it says in Deuteronomy, like an eagle spreading out its wings over the, the nest of its young. Look, look at some of these Psalms. We see this imagery all over the book of Psalms. No, we have some scripture verses up there. Am I going out of order? Sorry about that. Psalm 36, how priceless your faithful love is, God. People take refuge in the shadow of your ring, of your wings. Psalm 57, be gracious to me, the psalmist says. God, be gracious to me, for I take refuge in you. I will seek refuge in the shadow of your wings until danger passes. Psalm 91, the Lord will cover you with his feathers. He will take refuge. You will take refuge under his wings. His faithfulness will be a protective shield. You see this beautiful imagery grounded in the reality of nature. You can put those pictures up now. I found some of these pictures on the internet. Look how cool some of these are. Start, starting on the left. So here's, here's a bird roosted up on a branch. It's, it's got like a little chick under each wing. Isn't that cool looking? Then, then the next one, there's, there's this bird got, got three of its babies being, being sheltered, being cared for under its wings. I thought the, the, the bottom right, look at that goose. Like how, what cool of a ride is that? Like not only riding on, on their mom's wings, but, but having the, the cover over top of them. And then, and then the top right, that's not like an eight-legged bird, okay? That particular species of bird actually walks with its young underneath of it, scurrying along. Why? To protect it from prey. To protect its young from prey. I read about this one bird, this duck-like species down in South America. It's actually the male. The father has, po- only the father has pockets built into the underside of its wings, like little like like kangaroo pouch kind of things. And the father can actually scoop up one in each wing, a little baby. And the father can, can swim and can fly with these babies tucked in these little pouches that God made, right? This is, the, this is what the Lord is saying to us when he says, come and take refuge under the shelter of my wings. And we see this picture in the Old Testament. Jesus himself stood over Jerusalem, wept and lamented, saying how he wished to gather the people of the city to protect them. And Jesus said, I wish I could have gathered you like a hen gathers her children under its wings. Friends, Ruth came, not even knowing fully what she was going to find, but she came and found refuge under the wings of the Lord. And that call of God's provision, that call of His undeserved kindness and mercy is for all of us. What danger are you facing today? 
What storm do you need to be sheltered from? What enemy is threatening you? You can run to the world. You can run to your own intuition, your own hard work. You can run to, to, to wisdom that you find in secular culture. Or we can run to the Lord and find refuge. Find refuge in a God who sees, who knows, who cares, who will provide for you like He provided for Ruth. Finding refuge in the Lord is the heart of the Gospel. In the good news of Christ, we find shelter from sin. We find rescue from pain. We find, we find relief from brokenness. An ultimate healing and refuge from death. Shelter from the work of the devil. Friends, we all need God's provision, His undeserved kindness in our lives. For many of us poured out in very practical, very tangible, physical needs. But we all need it physically and emotionally to find refuge in God. Refuge from from the pain and the brokenness of this world. Whatever that may be for you this morning, whether it's sin that you cannot shake, whether it's physical health, whether it's emotional health, mental health, whether it's marriage challenges, parenting dynamics, the Lord's kindness is for you and I in Christ. This is the heart of the gospel. Hear this in Titus chapter 3. One of my favorite just expositions of, of what Christ has done for us. The Word of God says this in Titus 3, For we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures. We were passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. But, but when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, He saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to His own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal by the Holy Spirit, whom He poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that being justified by grace, by God's undeserved grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. Brothers and sisters, run to the Lord Jesus this morning for refuge, for that, for that kindness, for that unmerited grace, not because you've earned it, not because you're good enough, not because you've cleaned yourself up to make yourself presentable to God. We come to Him stumbling and broken and hurting, forgotten by the world, and we find refuge in Christ. Come this morning. If you've not known the protection of the Lord's wings, if you've not known the provision of a loving Father, come to Him this morning. Fall down before Him. Confess your sins. Confess your needs. Confess the ways you've been hurt and broken. Ask God for forgiveness. Trust in Christ that through His death, you can be set free from sin and death and the devil. And through His resurrection, you can have eternal life. You can have the Lord's undeserved kindness manifested even now through the Holy Spirit, through God's people, through the blessings of the church, and on into eternity. Run to the Lord for refuge, just as Ruth did. We see the Lord's provision again and again through this story, through His providence, through His undeserved kindness. Let's finish up and read the the last section. Just a shorter section here in verses 17 as we see God's provision through restoring hope to Naomi. Read with me. So she, Ruth, gleaned in the field until evening. Then she beat out what she had gleaned, and it was about an ephah of barley. And she took it up and went into the city. Her mother-in-law saw what she had gleaned. She also brought out and gave her what food she had left over after being satisfied. And her mother-in-law said to her, Where did you glean today? And where have you worked? Blessed be the man who took notice of you. 
So she told her mother-in-law with whom she had worked and said, The man's name with whom I worked today is Boaz. And Naomi said to her daughter-in-law, May he be blessed by the Lord, whose kindness has not forsaken the living or the dead. Naomi also said to her, The man is one of our closest relatives, one of our redeemers. And Ruth the Moabite said, Besides, he said to me, You shall keep close by my young men until they have finished all my harvest. And Naomi said to Ruth, her daughter-in-law, It is good, my daughter, that you go out with his young women, lest in another field you be assaulted. So she kept close to the young women of Boaz, gleaning until the end of the barley harvest and the wheat harvest. And she lived with her mother-in-law. So just to wrap out this section here, Ruth stays, works the rest of the day. When evening comes, she goes back to Bethlehem. She beats out the grain and she takes all the barley she's collected back to her mother-in-law. About an ephah, that would have been five and a half gallons of grain. Now listen, on a typical day of gleaning, a woman at that time in that culture would have been thrilled to come home with enough food to last them for a day, maybe two days. Ruth just came home with food for two weeks. This is outstanding. Naomi knows this. She's impressed. She's like, where did you work? Who treated you so kindly? And Ruth tells her it's the prosperous landowner by the name of Boaz. Now, Naomi immediately knows. She understands how significant this is because she understands the practice of of the kinsman redeemer. She understands that, that Boaz is a relative, that he's an eligible redeemer in their family line. And so she praises God in verse 20. She sees it as the Lord's loving kindness. And she says, he's not left us after all. The Lord has not forsaken us or the dead. And Ruth, she says, this man Boaz is one of our closest relatives in Judah. He's ineligible to serve as as our kinsman redeemer. See, the gears are already turning, right, with Naomi. She's like, wait a minute, if he treated you this good just on day one, if he's already treating you with such kindness, maybe he will be willing to redeem us, to rescue us out of poverty, to buy back our land, to marry into the family, to continue the family line. See, any any close relative could have served as a kinsman redeemer. The hope is to find the closest relative who was willing. We'll find out later in the story, not all of the relatives are willing to serve in this way. And so, we kind of were left wondering, if you don't know the story, will Boaz step up? Will he step up to redeem the family? Ruth goes on to explain that that Boaz invited her to continue working in the field to the end of the harvest. And Naomi reiterates how critical it is. Stay with her. Work under his protection. The narrator closes out this chapter in verse 23, telling us that Ruth continued to work alongside the female servants to the end of the barley harvest, then through the end of the wheat harvest. Probably at least two months she's in the field working alongside of, of Boaz and his servants. The narrator also adds that Ruth continued to live with Naomi. She continues to be faithful and dedicated. There's no funny business going on. She stayed at home with Naomi. She's not moved in with Boaz or with the workers. She's faithful. She's above board in all of her interactions during those two months. Now look, the second half of the book, chapters 3 and 4, are going to unpack the reality of the Lord's provision and how their lives will be transformed and the implications of Boaz as a potential kinsman redeemer. But for today, can we just pause here and see what God is doing in Naomi? Just celebrate what's happened in her heart before we read about what's about to happen in in their lives. right? Because we read last week how this was a woman of deep tragedy and despair, a woman full of bitterness. 
Remember that whole, like, don't call me pleasant, call me bitter, pity party thing that Naomi was happened? I, I, I left full, I've returned empty, right? She couldn't get any lower. But in that moment, in the moment when she hears about the day that Ruth has had, in the moment that she hears about what the Lord has provided through Boaz, her heart is softened, and she now sees for the first time, and I don't know how many months, she sees the Lord's provision, she sees the hand of God. And she knows Ruth could have ended up in any field that day. But it was the Lord's provision that Ruth ended up in Boaz's field. She knows that Boaz didn't treat her with, didn't have to treat her with the kind of grace that he did, with such undeserved kindness. But hearing this, Naomi's hope hope has been restored. Her faith has been restored. She realizes that not all is lost, that God has not abandoned her life. She won't have to live the rest of her days in poverty and in shame. Remember how she lamented last week, I'm empty. I left full, I've come back empty. She, she didn't see that Ruth was beside her. She just felt completely empty. But God had answered that prayer. Isn't it beautiful how God meets her need and says, look, you feel empty? I'm going to fill up your pantry for two weeks. I'm going I'm to give you Ruth's leftover lunch just to remind you, you are not empty. When you have God with you, you're not empty. He fills us to the brim and to overflowing and her hope is restored. She sees the hand of God's redemption at work. Now again, friends, I don't know what you walked in here with. I don't know what you're facing with your finances, with your marriage and parenting. In your work life, what kind of inner turmoil or angst or fear or depression, physical health, mental health. But here's what I know. I know that the Lord's provision is enough to meet you just as it met Ruth and Naomi. And so as the worship team comes back up, as we close today, I just want to call you and remind you, go to Him, come to Him, find refuge in Him in the midst of grief, in the midst of depression, in in the midst of of feeling overwhelmed by sin, in the midst of just feeling apathy, and then just thinking to yourself, "I, I just don't care. Come under the shadow of His wings. Come find refuge in the shadow of His wings because His grace for you is lavish. His mercy is unending. His kindness is undeserved for you today to meet your specific need, to fill up whatever it is in you that feels empty, to pour out His provision in whatever way you feel lacking. Have hope today. Trust God today. Receive His love because He can satisfy and only He can satisfy. Let's stand together and pray. And close with this song. God, give us hope today. Help us to trust you. That we could receive of your love today. We thank you that you truly love us. Not just in concept, but in practice. That Christ truly came. That we have a a redeemer. That you can satisfy us. You can fill us. That in Christ we have all that we need. We have an abundance We thank you for your provision and for your undeserved kindness. Pour it out even now into our hearts by your Holy Spirit. Come stir in us. Give us hope. Give us faith. And call us to action. To be the hands and feet of God's kindness to others. Hear our worship. Come Lord Jesus. We pray in his name. Amen.